On today's episode of The Glue Guys, Brian and I are going to talk about, actually really create, the Nets Hall of Shame. Hall of Shame, uh, piggybacking off of the athletics push right now, which is certain cities are doing Hall of Fames, New York Hall of Fame. We are doing the Brooklyn Nets, New Jersey Nets, New York Nets Hall of Shame, the inaugural class. Today's episode of The Glue Guys is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Oh, whoa. <laughs> whoa. That whoa. hello is inducted right into the Nets yeah. Hall of Shame. Brian, how are you? That's the in the Glue Guys Hall of Shame. Um, I am good despite that terribly, terribly off um, intro. Yeah, I'm good. Things are fine. Things perfect. are good. Everything's great even, in yeah. the world. Everything's perfect. Um, Truly don't need to talk about it. As you probably just heard in the intro, but I will say it now because we are professionals and we are professional podcasters, and that is what we do on this podcast. Today is a special episode. Today is something that we will lean on our years, nary decades of Nets knowledge to put together mm. this really special moment right here that you will hear over the next 43 minutes. What you will hear coming up is the inaugural class of the Nets franchise Hall of Shame, Brian. What a shameful franchise it has been. Uh, oh, come on. It's not so bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. There's there some times. There's some times. Quite juicy, actually. If So the sort of the origins of all this is over at The Athletic. And by the way, in the times we were in, this is kind of the perfect time to get in on The Athletic. And there's one big way to do it, and which would help our show is if you go to theathletic.com slash glue guys, you get 40% off an annual subscription and you get it at a time. There's so much great content on The Athletic right now, particularly NFL draft stuff. If you're an NFL fan, you're still getting fed a lot of mock drafts, analysis of players and all that great stuff. Dive in right now. This is kind of the time you want to be on uh, a diversion app. And that is what The Athletic can be for you. Brian. Can, can I do another little quick housekeeping yes. thing? So many people have emailed in the last weeks and feels like months, but last like three <laughs> weeks. And the uh, the the news cycle is so crazy that within a day or two, all of those emails have aged really terribly and they're kind of like they got buried. So I just wanted to shout out all the people that have sent in voicemails, emails. We like canvassed for emails and voicemails and people sent stuff in and then we didn't do anything with them. And then this and then this all happened and it became sort of really hard to, to air all that stuff. Um, so. If you wrote in or email or voicemailed in, super appreciate it. We will somehow make it up to you. We'll figure it out. I mean, like, just keep doing it and we'll we'll get we'll get you on the air. I don't know. We'll figure something dive out. Dive in now and give yeah, us now's more a good time. sort of <laughs> now's a good time. Dive in yeah. now and give us more grand Nets thoughts. Because we don't know if the season's gonna come back. So we can we will do a big picture 
mailbag pod. And if you want to do it, go to netspod at gmail. That's where you want to be sending in your thoughts, your queries, and your questions about the Nets. That is where you want to be. And thank you, everyone participating. And like we've had a lot of participation. So back to the Hall of Shame. Why we're doing it is because The Athletic, again, 40% off theathletic.com slash glue guys. Sorry. Uh, The Athletic right now is doing, like, throughout all of the cities that they cover a lot of sports in, they're doing Hall of Fames for those cities, for those sports franchises. So there is a New York Hall of Fame, which actually, from The Athletic, did not have a single net on it. And that's a whole nother debate. I've been asking around some smart people about basketball. So Patrick Ewing is in it. Jason Kidd is not, and I would argue Jason Kidd was a better player than Patrick Ewing. <laughs> that's the that's the A to B comparison you want to. Well, Patrick Ewing is like draw a line in the sand. He's firmly yeah. within this. He's like fourteen out of twenty five in this inaugural class of the Hall of Fame. I would argue if Jason Kidd is a better player, yes, his whole career wasn't in New York like most of Patrick Ewing's was. I mean, New Jersey, New York, but I think Jason Kidd was kind of almost like a significantly better player than Patrick Ewing, particularly like who had a more impactful career. Jay Kidd went to two finals and Patrick Ewing went mm-hmm. to, uh, and won a finals. Uh, a third well, finals. yeah, excuse, I, I, but yeah. I'm not, even, but they, that doesn't yeah, count sure. in that. Uh, Fine, the, yeah. And he also coached a professional basketball team and Patrick Ewing still was unable to get a head coaching job. Is his, Shots is at his Patrick jerseys, they must still be in the rafters, right? I mean, you can't unretire a retired jersey. Who, Patrick I'm, Ewing? I'm sure you could. No, I'm talking about Jason Kidd. Even after <laughs> they the... ripped down Ewing's. Um, no, I mean like Jason Kidd's jersey is retired in Brooklyn. It's, it's up in there. New York and his soda cup. And last time I checked, Brooklyn is in New York, Mike. And his soda. Yeah. Um, Good. So <laughs> because of this Hall of Fame push, we here on the Glue Guys felt it was only appropriate to kind of spin that around for our own selfish purposes. And yeah, we could have done a Hall of Fame for the Nets, but that's less interesting than a Hall of Shame. And so th- what you will hear now is the inaugural class of the Nets Hall of Shame. And it may be something that every year we bust out at a certain point to say this is the next class. But this is the ina- this is a special group of people and moments. And so where we kind of contained it to, just to let everyone know, is we kind of really left it in the basketball realm. We didn't want to go too far afield of like if they were bad people outside of basketball, should they be in the Hall of Shame? <laughs> Like what you could exactly. name some people that have done bad things who then oh, oh, were, who are part of the Nets franchise, and I think it gets into sticky territory. Um, no, no. But we kind of kept it. I have actually a very narrow rubric for which I decided who should be in the <laughs> Hall of Shame. I, I've decided I my logic is pretty linear on this. Um, before we even get going with our picks, I think so. I put it out on Twitter and I asked yeah, a bunch of yeah. people to put in some suggestions, and we had really fantastic suggestions. Uh, Luis Torres. Big fan of the show. Um, he suggested trading that the fact that they traded Kyle Korver for a fax machine. Um, more one of the more beautiful trade scenarios. If you don't know, the Nets picked Kyle Korver but sold the pick and then used the money that they got from that pick to buy a fax machine, which broke in a in a few years apparently. Um, <laughs> there was there was some like long form story about the history of that fax machine trade, wasn't there? I feel like that was on some was website it, not too long ago. Was it a first person perspective from the fax machine? <laughs> from the fax machine, apparently it was like a fifty thousand dollar fax machine, which or something like that. You know, it's one of those giant copier things, like a huge one, which also shows industrial to me that shows poor mismanagement by the Nets that they had to spend that <laughs> yeah. much money on a fax machine. That they, they had they had seen the internet and they were like, you know what? I don't think, I do not think 
this is this internet thing's long for this world. Um, at Trini Excellence on Twitter said there should be a special Williams category. He's talking Terrence Williams, Sean Williams, Marcus Williams, Darren Williams, Sheldon Williams, Sean Williams. I love that. I will say a tease. One of those Williams's Williams eyes will be in the inaugural class. Um, at Grant Rand on Twitter, Keith Van Horn socks, Jason Kidd spilling soda to scoop up an extra timeout, Todd McCullough's feet. Um, mm. I love that. I love just the the granular details. I don't know if that's inaugural class hall of hall of shame, but I like it. Um, a lot of people, Josh Boone, a lot of, I know Josh Boone really comes to mind for this stuff, which I feel so bad about. I mean, he, <laughs> he like didn't work out, you know, that's, it's not, he didn't like, you know, explode spectacularly. He just kind of like, you know, did, it was a draft pick that didn't pan out. Can you it explain, happens. but why would people not, why is Josh Boone so hated amongst the Nets fan base? So it's not that he's hated. I think that they looked at the Marcus Williams, Josh Boone, draft class as like a, they had a very very high hopes for that for some reason um and they yeah that was a mistake um but like i i guess like the the thing with josh boone and why he sort of faded was it was very conspicuously an anxiety thing like he was the one of the most anxious players i've ever seen at play basketball at a professional level and for that reason maybe that they're like keyed in on on that as a hall of shame candidacy like because the way that he was bad was because he just like panicked he was just a panicky dude <laughs> <laughs> he was, it was like his you know he was just you know pale ashen with fear like every time he stepped on court um and that's sad for me that's just like a you know sad thing but you know other people prey on that because they're they're predators like the tiger king mike have you watched it no but we will so next week we will do a non-nets episode and it's all gonna be about vanderpump rules and tiger king i saw our boy heavy tiger king heavy Heavy tiger Tiger king King. i'm excited to dive in because i've seen so um chris chioza on twitter uh the nets ascendant guard who the next starting point guard for the nets next year after they trade kyrie irving um said that he actually didn't like Tiger King, that it was too crazy for him, which to me is the best endorsement that you can get. If it's too crazy wow. for Chris Chioza, I'm in. I'm in on that. Meaning like it's like watching Jerry Springer sort of too crazy. Like it's a little <laughs> bit. Is that <laughs> the vibe we're going to get? Is it classed up Jerry Springer? Basically? It's 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 definitely in that milieu. Yeah, I would say. What was the Josh Boone draft? What, what year was that? 2007, I guess. I'm trying to. He started. Uh. That's a good question. Oh, five, maybe because um, it's uh, no, uh, I think it's Josh Boone. I'm trying to find that out. I mean, basically, I'm trying to see like who else was on the board to make it so that everyone hates Josh Boone in this exact moment. Oh, OK. Well, OK. So it was the 2006 draft. That was the Andrea Bargnani as the number one overall pick. OK, let's just do this for a second before we go to our Hall yeah, of Shame. Great. Here's this. Here's the 2006 draft. Bargnani, number one overall. La- big, big moves. LaMarcus Aldridge, number two. Okay. Adam Morrison, Tyrus Thomas, Sheldon Williams, Brandon Roy. Oh, my Lord. Rand- to Sheldon Williams at five, there's sh- – or was that four? That was five. <laughs> that was like yeah. – that like goes back to like the oldest school thinking of – he could- First of all – Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, Sheldon Williams was – oh, yeah, he's on this list. Sorry. Yeah. No, never mind. Um, yeah. Brandon Roy, Randy Foy. Rudy Gay, Rudy Gay, okay. But I remember him being an underwhelming college player, but he ended up being pretty good. Patrick O'Brien from Bradley went to the Warriors. I distinctly remember that. Uh, Mohamed Sene, <laughs> who was uh, sure. a long line of gar- or, you know, tall men from Africa who 
and some and I'm not working out. JJ Reddick, number eleven overall. Wow. Our boy Hilton Armstrong, the other Yukon big man. Sure boy. Um here okay. So many so many nets in that <laughs> top of that class here, at one point. So the nets where we can all zoom in on the 2006 draft. And maybe we are going to do a nets like best worst draft pick type dealio. The nets have the back back to back picks, 22nd and 23rd overall. Rondo had just been taken at the 21st overall. So I wonder if there was some scenario where the Nets were maybe going to take Rondo over Marcus Williams. But the Nets go back-to-back UConn players with Marcus Williams and Josh Boone. The pick after Josh Boone was another guard, Kyle Lowry. So Kyle mm, Lowry gets wow. scooped up by wow. Memphis at 20. 20- so we're, we're sandwiched between Rondo and Lowry yeah. right there? Yeah. Wow. And that's amazing. And then it's like, and then I'm trying to find, I'm sure there's like other pretty good, like PJ Tucker was in the second round, but who knew that PJ Tucker, you know, was going to be. And the thing is was. like, even if we, I mean like, so Memphis got Lowry, right? That's the, that's yeah. Memphis got Lowry. Yeah. And they didn't use him for like three years before he actually became like, could you imagine Lowry being ascendant on the nets no, at that time? There's no. just no way. There, I mean, even like he put Marcus Williams, I mean, Marcus Williams could have been Darren Williams had he had he gone to Utah. <laughs> I I remember I remember as a child because I was a child then. We were basically I think we were graduating high school at that point, right? Two thousand six. Um, we would have been yeah, heading. Have been. You and I on separate paths would have been heading to Syracuse, wow. converging, awaiting finally. And and our first conversation. Tornado and a hurricane <laughs> meeting. <laughs> how was our first conversation not about the 2006 draft? How was it not about Marcus Williams and how great he was? We didn't. It? We had to. We really felt each other out like cats for years. That was. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just Tiger King. Tiger King. Uh, yeah. Kyle Lowry, by the way, in Memphis. So we talk about like what he succeeded with the Nets. So he plays ten games in his rookie season in Memphis. He's at six points a game. His second season, he plays in every game, but only starts nine of them and only averages about ten points scoring wise a game. And then in that in his third season with Memphis, after halfway through the season, he gets traded to Houston and does it again, does nothing and then slowly rises with Houston and then continues to rise. And then Houston flips him to Toronto and then he continues to rise. And there was that moment when in his career when Toronto almost traded Lowry to the Knicks before Lowry became really good. And I think like James Dolan balked at the trade, which is like, of course he did. Um, anyways. Uh, what, what a great draft. Um, uh, sorry, a couple more hall of shame from Twitter and, uh, this, so I think it's Sommer is how we pronounce it, right? Samer, Sommer is like a big contributor to the show and we appreciate him. And he brought up the Vince Carter trade going to Orlando, which I had to look back on. And I remember, cause I remembered it at the time, but I wanted to just dive back into the details. And it is sort of one of the low key worst trades in NBA history because you have Vince Carter, who's still like pretty much peak Vince Carter. He had, he had just begin to crest. I mean, like yeah. you, it was, you could see it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't a terrible time to trade him in general, but for what you got, yes, it was a terrible trade. This is what the Nets got. If no one remembers. So it was Vince Carter and Ryan Anderson was heading out, which, you know, Ryan Anderson had a peak later in his career, but no one at the time was like, Oh, Ryan Anderson, but uh, Ray for Alston coming back, Courtney Lee coming back and Tony Batie coming back and so it what's always good is if you were looking back at trades go find an article from the time so you can find the current thinking on it or the thinking at the time and this was in the espn article it says as for the nets explaining the move the move is a cost-cutting measure 
Both Alston and Petit are in the last year of their contracts, and trading them would shave $16.5 million off the Nets' roster in the summer of 2010 and will put the Nets well below the salary cap and that the Nets are aiming for the 2011 free agent class, which is LeBron, Wade, Bosch, and Amari. Of course, we all know what happened there. But like, so my argument is uh, if you're going to trade Vince Carter, even he's just beginning to crest, you got to get more. And you know what would have been helpful to try to recruit LeBron, Wade, or Bosch would have been Vince Carter. It would have actually been having that guy. Um, but and if not happening, but that is Twitter suggestions. Hall of shame. Shall we begin with ours, Brian? Please. Yeah. Hey, and thanks to everyone on Twitter. That was really good stuff, guys. Really nice. Do you want to start with your number one? Or you want me to start with my number one? Yeah. I kind of want to just sort of give a preface for my stuff too. Is like, I went with, you know, like I, I saw the Josh Boones and I do want to put a, a clear line of demarcation that. So for me, like to truly make it to the hall of shame, you have to be almost a near hall of fame player to begin with. I think like, you know, um, or just like a, a big presence, like, you know, Josh Boone, easy to, to jump on him. Um, but he just sort of like faded and had like a, one of the more common kind of NBA careers, which is that you just don't make it over. Um, but these are people that I picked that had, um, you know, long careers in the NBA that was just in particular <clears throat> got to the nets and just were chaotic, bad, any, any of the above, any negative trait you can ascribe, um, but in general would be seen as like a good player. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how I approached it, which for me, the number one, like first ballot inductee tomorrow, get him signed up as Paul Pierce. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people, people, Paul Pierce, first of all, has stayed salty, been shady ever since, so salty. like has never missed an opportunity to, to take a dump on the nets and, and, you know, just is holding a massive grudge. It's pretty clear. Um, but the guy, so we paid a King's ransom, a King's ransom, like to, to get him over here in the first Stop. place. <laughs> did you see what Stop. I did there? Yeah. Um, I did. And then he, you know, had posted career lows, uh, was out in a year unceremoniously, but like, you know, he left in the open market. That wasn't like a, we didn't like send him to Siberia. He just went to a different team. And, uh, so, okay. So fine. Begrudge us that even after the rumors were he wanted to resign. So there's stuff like that going on too, Mike, that's percolating under the surface. Um, but, and then he goes on to have a, a really big sort of famous interview with Jackie McMullen at ESPN Boston saying, I'm much happier. This is him with Mike Smeltz's Washington wizards at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm much happier here in Washington on the wizards. Um, it was a tough situation in Brooklyn last year. Horrible, really. And then he goes and takes individual dumps on Darren Williams and things like that. Um, not not unwarranted dumps, mind you, but no. still very public, stinky dumps. Um, <laughs> if, if if anything, it was uh, acceptable. It was a recycling plant that actually yeah. welcomed the dumps at that point, at least yeah. for me. Yeah. But in, just in general, he's like a longstanding Nets franchise antagonist. And for that reason, he gets my vote as a hall of shame. It's inductee. it's so strange. And it just speaks to Paul Pierce's personality that he has taken glee in the fact that he was a part of the worst trade in NBA history. And I don't know if it's because he feels defensive about it because so many people bring up that he was washed and he goes to Brooklyn and he ends up part of, again, this trade that creates a Celtics franchise for the next 15, 20 years and ruins the Nets franchise for at least a half a decade. And, we're still even feeling the effects of it right now, but he relishes the fact that 
he like he has said at one point that this was his parting gift to Boston, that he was part of this trade in Brooklyn. And it's like kind of like screw you, man, a little Mm -hmm. bit like you. You did come here to Brooklyn and you did play for the team and we showed you no hate. Like no one has been like, we hate you, Paul Pierce. No, nobody boos Paul Pierce on his return, you know, next year. That never happens. Um, it's, it's a very unusual way. And he seems to relish sort of being the heel in a lot of these circumstances. And then, and part of when he was doing it was that Nets fans were so low, like yeah. every NBA draft <laughs> yeah. lottery, our pick ended up in the top three and the team. We were, Do you think we're happy that our star player no. is like giving up? Do you think we like this? No, we don't like, we're this. horrified with what happens. It's not, yeah. and, it, and it wasn't like anyone blamed Paul Pierce be, for the, no. how bad the Nets were. Because then we find out later. So we talk about his free agency. We find out later that Procroft didn't want to pay Paul Pierce the money because he was like so turned off from what had just he had just seen from the team. And that he was he came back on his promise to go into the luxury tax to such a degree because he had been pay, paying a record amount luxury tax for a team that ended up, what, second round and out or whatever it was. With uh, yeah. KG and Pierce and Brooke Lopez. A and really Darryl great. And Joe I mean, Johnson and- ev- worth every penny for that Toronto series. Let me tell you. Great series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only partially joking about that. Well, great series. So Paul Pierce is in the inaugural class. Your pick via my, I'll hop to my number one pick and they kind of dovetail. And you've talked yeah. about this already. Darren Williams deserves to be in the inaugural class. And like you, so I also don't consider the Josh Boone's the insignificance to be a part of the inaugural class for the Hall of Shame, because if you're going to do a true Hall of Shamefulness, it needs to be so shameful, such a level of impact shameful that they need to also matter. And Darren Williams, sure, he averaged 17, 8 and 4 over his time with the Nets. Perfectly acceptable, not completely ridiculous. He's not Johan Petro, but... He is patient zero in the times that we're in patient zero Mm. for the destruction of the Nets franchise. The trade for him, I actually think is a fine trade. We can go crazy about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, favors and a pick that and his cancer and another pick that came Gorgie Jang. Sure. Those are, that's a lot of assets to get one guy, but the guy at the time was considered on the level of Chris Paul and Chris Paul is now going to be viewed as a top five point guard of all time where Darren Williams won't ever be considered besides his MMA podcast going forward. Um, but does he still do that podcast? Yeah, I think so. I think wow. I think that's still part of his repertoire um, and kind of why we could get him on our show. But I don't think it would go well. Would that go well? A Darren Williams interview? Um, I mean, we could make that go well. We could. You know what would happen? <laughs> completely be two faced about yeah, this. You know what probably happens sure. is that like he would come on and we'd be like we would we would feel bad for like we had Billy King on. And I was like, I like Billy King. What a guy. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. He's a sweet guy. <laughs> and I will take shots at Billy King later. Okay. So Darren Williams, patient zero. Darren Williams is the reason why the Gerald Wallace trade happened. We all know that. But just to go back to the time. So Ben Falk. Ben Falk is an analytics guy, one of the leading guys. He has a really good website uh, that now dives into sort of the analytics of basketball. And he was the, essentially the head of analytics for the Trailblazers at the time of the Gerald Wallace trade. And there's a really good recounting. Uh, Net Income did a piece about it two years ago on Nets Daily using Ben Falk quotes about what the what the trailblazers were thinking from their side of the equation as Gerald Wallace trade was about to happen. And the, the, really the quote is that like, 
what they what the Trailblazers understood of why the the Nets wanted to do it was that here's the quote: "It sounds like he's a player Dan Williams wants to play with, and they think it will convince Darren to re-sign this offseason. They're offering up a first rounder pick. That first round pick ended up being Damian Lillard, and famously." It was only top three protected that pick. And why was a top three protected is because Billy King and the Nets front office believed that it was a three player draft. Thomas Robinson being one of those three players. I think it was, it was a Derek Williams and someone else. Oh, Anthony Davis was in the draft. Uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, excuse me. And Thomas Robinson. I also think Bradley Beal was in that draft. I mean, I know he was. So the fact that Bradley Beal was outside the three player equation and Damian Lillard, which is not that controversial at the time. I think he went to Moorhead State, so he wasn't like this ascendant guard. But he was the sixth overall pick. That pick becomes Damian Lillard, who is, you know, one of the best offensive point guards in the past 30 years or whatever. Um, it's it's perfectly Netsian that that would happen, too. I mean, like those the players that you mentioned outside of Anthony Davis, not exception, not exceptionally inspiring talents or whatever. But and then, of course, Damian Lillard would would be the only other player that really breaks out of that draft. Um, So Darren Williams, just to reset, was going to be a free agent. And there was talk like the Nets are going to get Howard Dwight Howard to convince Darren Williams to remain with the team. And that was there's all this complicated stuff. Why that happened? Mostly because Dwight Howard is kind of a maniac and didn't know what he was thinking in his life. And so plan B is trading for Gerald Wallace because Gerald Wallace, I guess, was still viewed at that time as a guy who like mattered, even though when you like even look at his statistics at that point, he was greatly diminished from peak athleticism, Gerald Wallace. So the Nets make this bat, this Gerald Wallace trade, get Gerald Wallace in house. Darren resigns with the team. Gerald Wallace is, in fact, uh, the patient zero for the Garnett Pierce trade. Because Gerald Wallace is in the Garnett Pierce trade, and the Nets have to give up additional draft compensation to get rid of Gerald Wallace. Because basically, the reason why the Gerald Wallace Boston Celtics Garnett Pierce trade is so big is that the Nets had to give up like a first and a pick swap to just get rid of Gerald Wallace. Then they have to give up two picks and more pick swaps, right, to get Pierce and Garnett. And of course, if anything is the cause for the Pierce Garnett trade, they have to be in the Hall of Shame because it's the worst trade in NBA history. So because of Darren Williams, because of his lack of commitment to the franchise and his his uh, his desire to try to build a team around himself by forcing the team to go up assets to do so created ultimately what ended up being the worst situation in NBA history for building a team, a team that did not have its own first round pick for seven years or whatever. I'd have to go back and look at this, but I think the timing of it was that also that Jason Kidd was appointed the coach before all these trades happened. And then later when, you know, readdressing all this stuff, um, when he was with Milwaukee or something, he said that he didn't like the uh, the Garnett and Paul Pierce trade at the time because he liked Jared Wallace, liked that it made us faster. Um, and <laughs> was like uh, already off on the, on the wrong foot with management because he disagreed with that trade. Um, and, and I will talk about headlines and surly point guards. I, I went through New York Post's, uh, archive I, I went on new york post and i searched darren williams and i looked back for like five years into the past continue like just kept going through each article page to just pull out a couple of headlines because there's darren williams the player who was 17 8 and 4 fine 
but that's not the guy that they traded for. They traded for one of the best point guards in the league, and he ended up being like league average, essentially. And it ended up basically being George Hill, if George Hill got 35 minutes a game. Uh, there's Jer- there's Darren Williams, the trade maestro, which created the Gerald Wallace trade, which created the the eventually the Boston Celtics trade, the worst trade in franchise history in all of NBA history. And then there's Darren Williams, the guy leading your franchise. You spoke about the Paul Pierce quote. And Paul, Paul Pierce... This is the this is the headline, New York Post. Paul Pierce rips nets, says pressure got to Darren Williams. Paul Pierce said to Jackie McMullen, before I got there, I looked at Darren as an MVP candidate. But once I, once I felt once we got there, that's not what he wanted to be. He just didn't want that. I think the pressure got to him sometimes. Some more headlines from the New York Post. Will Darren Williams be addition by subtraction for the Nets? Never good. Mikhail Prokhorov, happy to forget about Darren Williams. Nets will pay Darren Williams to go away. Nets would again. Darren Williams on the bench. What gives? Darren Williams turns despondent as bricks pile up. That is the Dar- That was the Darren Williams experience. It was, at times, he could be a really impactful player on the court. Mostly, though, he was a grumpy, surly dude who wore his emotions on his face. Um, it. He was the opposite type of player that you'd want to lead your franchise. And kind of because of that uncomfortableness that he kind of festered within the organization it led to the pressure it was one of the factors that led to the pressure that ended up in the Garnett Pierce trade so Darren Williams you're you're in the class you're in there buddy you did it oh uh, you're number two should I should I do yeah. it yeah so here's the real patience era for all of this <laughs> that said all of all of the and because if if the contagion here is signing on with the Nets or getting traded to the Nets yes. As a as a premier big name, maybe not in the the prime of your career, or like you know you weren't developed here, but you've you've um, somehow you made it over here to New Jersey or Brooklyn, um, one way or another. The first version of that, to my to my memory, the most uh, is um, Cherboy Alonzo Morning back in back in the uh, early aughts, mm. Mike. And uh, so, if you don't remember Alonzo Morning, and I think this is two thousand four. Uh, was signed as a free agent. We had been we had been constantly looking for this uh, center presence on on a team. This is the years of Shaquille O'Neal's prominence as a nuclear bomb on the NBA. And we, you know, even if we did make it out of the East, we were always facing, as we saw on stream last week, some kind of large big man presence that we could never get past. So. Let's call up Alonzo Morning. He's he needs a he needs a he needs a gig. A, let's get Alonzo on the horn. Gig. Promptly, his kidney fails or whatever, and he has to have surgery or something. Wait, I actually have to. <laughs> so, and then he has to um, take these uh, anti-inflammatory like pills that are keeping him on the sideline. He hates having a hard time recovering from small bumps and bruises and stuff. Generally, it causes a state of I don't know discontentment uh, from him towards the team, team towards him. He's getting into fights with Kenyon Martin. You know, can't like, do that. Auto- you can never <laughs> don't do that. do that. Don't don't be doing that. Tim Thompson will tell you about that. Uh, Tim Thomas. Um, anyways, uh, it goes very sour, and he is uh, sent to Toronto in the trade that became Vince Carter, which was one of the few times where that actually worked out kind of nicely, like trading for a uh, star player in his prime um, for the Nets. Um, but up until that point, we had a disgruntled. Alonzo Mourning post. I think he played like 12 games. Yeah. 12 games in 2003. So that's what it was. Um, 
and uh, and was a total discontent, a, a proto Darren Williams before Darren Williams, although like, you know, asked to do less. Uh, but he put up terrible stats and and sort of always um, was made sure to like sort of begrudge his time, bemoan his time publicly with the Nets. Um, and that that continued on, probably continued on, continues on to this day, Mike. Um so and here's a lot of warning. This is from Wikipedia. Obviously, they they actually have citing sources. So this is a 2005 article, New York Times about Alonzo Mourning. And it's Alonzo Mourning came to New Jersey in 2003 to win a championship. His blinding obsession brought him to Continental Arena on Thursday night. Only this time he's wearing his old Miami Heat uniform, turning his back on the Nets, as he said he did at the end of his tenure in New Jersey. In his first game since signing with Miami on Tuesday, entered with two minutes, blah, blah, blah. And then this is what Alonzo Mourning said about how the fans reacted to him. He said, hey, they should be booing the person who broke up the team to tell you the truth. And he goes mm. on to complain about the team. Um, whereas the floor was like, wow, I don't care. But I was kind of unfortunate because I never thought I would reach that level. And then he criticized the owner, Bruce Ratner, which was not all that complicated, for not re-signing Kenyon Martin and was a broken promise to build a, a championship franchise. Um, he goes on to complain about the franchise, blah, 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 how bad it was and all that stuff. And I think it's to your point of where, okay, Zoe has the, the obviously kidney transplant out of everyone's control at that point, but he's still emblematic of like, if a shame, like it's a shameful period, you know, it's, it's a down period. You, you get Alonzo warning, big signing and immediately it's destruct, it's destroys the franchise at that point. I will say I was also tempted to go um, Sharif Abdurrahim and oh, his beautiful. rescinded rescinded free agency signing um, after they discovered problems with his knee, um, and then that got very ugly very quickly, Mike. Um, but I didn't. That's just an honorable mention. Right honorable there. mention. Uh, my number two, and this is the easiest one. And yeah, this is we had a claw. We fought. We, we had a fight over yeah. it, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> we, we did a Rochambeau. Yeah. Um, Mike won. But Brian ceded it to me, and I really appreciate it. Billy King. He follows us, us on Twitter. I love you, Billy, as a person, I guess. Uh, but Billy King, you are. Can we also say we, we've been accused of being too soft on Billy King throughout the entirety of this podcast? This is this has been a um, this has been slander that's been thrown at us. All we've done is been um, thoughtful about the Billy King tenure. Like I would say that's, and if you want to be, if you want to accuse us of being thoughtful, you know, fine. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Take me away. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, but I will, if we're doing an inaugural class of the yeah, hall of shame, unf- Billy King is, we'll get tarred and feather if we don't. He's number one besides my third list, but here, so Billy King, just so we mm-hmm. all remember what happened. So Billy King was successful with the 76ers. He comes over to the nets to lead the nets franchise. And we had already talked about the Gerald Wallace trade, which I will actually term the Damian Lillard trade. So in that trade, the Nets give up Mehmet Okor, Sean Williams, and a 2012 first-round pick, which ended up being Damian Lillard for Gerald Wallace, uh, which destroys the franchise in a number of ways because then it goes into the Boston trade. But here's the thing. This is Billy King's lack of luck, though. Had that had that not been Damian Lillard, had that been anyone else, nobody would have batted a lash at that trade. It wouldn't be as bad. But again, it goes into this trade, which is the Boston trade. And putting and Billy told us on the Glue Guys podcast that he had to give up more compensation to get rid of Gerald Wallace in that trade. And that more compensation ended up being this. And I'll just read the trade as is and the ripple effects of what happened. The Nets gave up Keith Bogans, oh, Miss, Miff, Miss Keith Bogans, come on, 
Marshawn Brooks, another Nets star, Chris Humphreys, Chris Joseph, Gerald Wallace, a 2014 first-round pick, which became James Young. James Young stunk, but he was a guy, could have been a guy. 2016 first-round pick, Jalen Brown. 2017 first-round pick, which was Markel Fultz, but then was, of course, traded for Jason Tatum. A 2018 first-round pick, which was Colin Sexton. To the Nets for Garnett, who was washed. Pierce, who was washed. Jason Terry, who was actually probably the best of those three. Well, Garnett was the best of those three, but Jason Terry still could do something. DJ White, a 2017 first-round pick, which was then used to get D'Angelo Russell. So I guess you get credit for that. But 2017 first-round pick was Kyle Kuzma, and everyone is upset about that. And a 2017 second-round pick, which was Sasha Vaznakov. Vaznakov? Uh, whatever. Okay. So this trade is the worst trade in NBA history. It's a cursed, it's a cursed trade because all those hit and especially they could have the Markel Fultz, Jason Tatum part is my favorite because that is an addendum that deserves to be in there, but it's also kind of like bullshitty, you know, like it's not, that was, it was the Mark, it was Markel Fultz was the number one overall pick and that was the Nets pick. And yes, it did get flipped for Jason Tatum, which was just masterful for Danny Ainge, obviously. Um, so it's still, even though that pick would not have hit on that, he still kind of made it hit, which is which is sad for Billy Kidd. And so the key thing to know about this, yes, there was pressure from ownership to make this trade. That is understandable. And when it happened, and if we're going to be in defense of Billy King here, everyone was jacked up that Garnett, Pierce, Sports Illustrated Brooke had Lopez, him on the cover. And Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, all on the same team. That was a pretty, that, would, that looked like a title contender. For sure. So it wasn't as embarrassing at the time. Like, I think, I know you're not a big NFL fan, but people are crushing the Texans for the trades that they are making right now in the moment. Like, those are like, we, there are certain trades that, you know, in the moment, which are horrible. This trade at the time was not thought to be that way. It was thought to be on the level of what the Paul George trade to the Clippers was, or, you know, whatever, or Anthony Davis trade. Well, Anthony Davis trade, I think, is still like always going to be pretty good. But the Anthony Davis trade to the out out of the Pelicans, the Lakers giving up all that they had to give up. Those trades were everyone is pretty much lauded immediately. Um, this trade at the time people liked, but the major failing, and anyone could say this, is the fact that the Nets didn't protect their first round picks at all. They didn't even get a top one protection. If they had gotten even a top one protection, as my voice spikes. Yeah, you're hysterical over it. You're Markel Fultz incensed. would be a Brooklyn yeah. Net right now or Jason Tatum. <laughs> no, it, it would have been Markel Fultz. Been, the Nets probably go. would have traded the pick. Sean Marks probably would have traded the pick. But like the, the to not have even lightly protected that, you know, if you go if in that moment with the Celtics, if you had said to them, this is crazy. You you know, sure, you guys can have our picks. Let's do it. But like, give us a top three protection. Top three protection is the lightest basically you can get besides top one, right? Or top two, of course. But it's 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 pretty reasonable for a GM to be like, all right, well, we still get a pretty reasonable shot of getting these picks. The Nets didn't do that, and it created the darkest situation in any NBA franchise has ever had in terms of how much talent they could accumulate. The Nets were hopeless. The Nets could not tank. And yeah, it did, you know, within the nuclear wasteland that was the Nets butted up this beautiful franchise that we talk about now. But it's the worst trade in franchise history. Billy King made it. It will go down as the worst trade in basketball history. And the person who makes that trade has to be in the Hall of Shame. Billy King, you are in the Hall of Shame.
And at the risk of like sort of this this period in time, Mike, is very it's full of Hall of Shame candidacy because it did it did serve as the precursor to one of the darkest periods of time. And so, you know, this is the inaugural class. And unfortunately, a lot of these names are going to come from this period. One of the one of the many, as we've seen, contributors to that, in my opinion, part of the inaugural class could be Andre Kirilenko. This was surprising. Who, it was on the list. Who? So, first of all, Andre Kirilenko was not thirty six or thirty seven like Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. He was thirty two. A young. He, I'm thirty two. I'm a spry thirty two. <laughs> okay, I got plenty of years of professional basketball ahead of me. The same way Andre Kirilenko could have signs on to the Nets in free agency for a pittance. He took a two hundred and forty seven percent pay cut to play championship basketball for these Brooklyn Nets. Um, And then he he very quickly goes to like a beach vacation for four months and is very vocal in uh, the newspapers about how excited he is that he hasn't seen a basketball in three or four months. And he's unlearned um, all of the behaviors associated with playing professional basketball um, at the highest levels. He's like, this is a good thing. This is this is smart. I have reprogrammed my professional basketball brain. I'll probably be better than ever. Spoiler, he's worse than ever. He comes back, posts uh, career lows across the board, is losing minutes left and right, then gets hurt, um, starts having back problems, so on and so forth, and plays a total of 47 minutes at 19 minutes per game. Sorry, 47 games, 19 minutes per game. Um, and then is let go the next season, um, after playing seven games. So here's the thing, Andre Kirilenko on himself, like, you know, that's not so terrible, but he was supposed to be, he was, we, I celebrated the Andre Kirilenko signing more than any of those other signings, any of the other trades or signings. I was like, oh, this is the, this is the sign that we just like, we're going to be falling ass backwards into signing, you know, all-star level athletes at uh, a total discount. This is, oh, this is what it's like to be the Lakers. It's awesome. I'm loving this. And then um, that like completely explodes and, and it's very netsy and in the way that like that would happen perfectly for the Lakers and would not happen for, for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, And also for it to be so vocal celebrating the fact that he like unlearned basketball. It's part of it. He, He's not gone on to like besmirch the Nets in any public way. I don't think there's any there's been any kind of campaign to be like this is a bad situation or anything like that because he's probably really boys with your boy Mikhail. Um, so he may not want to want to be trafficking in in that. But uh, for me, based on how high I was at the point of his signing and how low I was by the time that he left on him, he's getting a a vote for me. And also I just want to diversify the hall of shame portfolio a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I totally, I love it because it, it is more of like Billy King, obvious Darren Williams, obvious. I think the Zoe signing and how that all impacted the franchise. Obvious. I love Karolinko the way you describe it, because it was the Lakers moment for the nets, as you said, and that it ended up being a Netsian moment, which is like, and, and I'm, at the time, I do remember, like, Bill Simmons specifically making jokes about how, like, there was Russian mafia, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. the, like the Russians were under the table giving Karolinko rubies in <laughs> Moscow because the, the signing was so, the amount of money was so low that it was, it was incredible that the Nets were able to get him. And 
he ended up not being good at all, at all. There was not a mo. There was not an Andre Karolinko moment. There was. It was stale. He successfully unlearned basketball. That was as promised. Um, it's the opposite of Matrix, and it's the opposite of learning kung fu. <laughs> yeah, they took the kung fu out I, of his head. I forgot they did the Men in Black kung fu thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. mixing sci-fi. How about sci-fi? Anyways, my third and final candidate. Uh, this is going way back in the past. This is deep in the roots of the Nets franchise. It is a story that many of you know, but maybe needs retelling. It is the story, and I hope I pronounce the last name right, because I will look shameful if I don't. Roy Bowe, B-O-E. He was the original owner, or one of the original owners of the Nets, and he was the executive of the team when the team was in the ABA as the New York Nets And the the Nets were the crown jewel of the ABA because they had Dr. Julius Irving, Dr. J, the the star of the ABA. And the Nets were the best team of the ABA. And because of Dr. J and the Nets, that is why the ABA and the NBA merged. Okay, so the Nets have the star of this league that is the driving force for this merger. And there was a lot of business machinations that were happening behind the scenes. But the basics of it from multiple reports, uh, Loose Balls, the book by Terry Pluto, and there's a couple of good stories. There's a really good NJ.com story from like 2005 about all of this is that, or maybe 2008, I don't know, one of those eights, oh fives. Anyways, um, the Nets needed $8 million in cash to get into the NBA, even though the NBA and ABA were merging because of the Nets, but they needed to pay off the Knicks because the Knicks had a territorial rights fee, and then they needed to pay a league entry. So I've seen $8 million. I've also seen $5 million. It's kind of tough to to figure it all out, but they needed millions of dollars in cash. And back in the day, that wasn't exactly just, no one was just liquid. You know, a lot of these owners weren't like the super rich. They were actually kind of hustlers who had to borrow a ton of money, which is not that unusual actually now, but they were hustlers. They They weren't like Joseph Tsai, just like, yeah, here's whatever. Oh, I'm Steve Ballmer. Here's $400 million for the forum, which I'm not going to use. I will do that. No, was, times are a little tougher. But here's the details. Dr. J, the star of the ABA, the star of the Nets, the best player of the ABA, the guy who would presumably be the lead dog in bringing the Nets into the NBA, was making $400,000 a year and wanted to be bumped up another fifty grand. So we had a contract dispute with Dr. J. The Nets needed $8 million in cash to go into the NBA to do what they wanted to do. Bo was also the owner of the Islanders and in financial trouble because of the Islanders. Another situation where the Nets and the Islanders have issues, going back to you know the arena issues that when the Islanders are at Barclays, it's been a long, there's a long rivalry between the Islanders and the Nets. And finally, um, sorry, I had to tell people to get away. And finally... The Sixers come to them. Well, first, Bo offers Dr. J to the Knicks and says, hey, here, you can have Dr. J wipe away the money that we owe you. You can just have Dr. J for that amount of money, $4 million, whatever it is. And Knicks don't want that deal. They'd rather have the money. That's why the curse is bifurcated right there. That's that's where it happened. Um, Mm -hmm. So he goes to the Sixers, and the Sixers offer $3 million. $3 million for Dr. J. The Nets take the deal. The Nets have enough money to get into the NBA, and the Nets franchise has never been the same ever since. Dr. J goes on and has an illustrious career with with the 76ers. He's actually probably more linked 
I imagine, with the 76ers and then the, the Nets. Um, the Nets only now just got Dr. J to go to a game in Brooklyn. Did that game even happen or was that canceled by? No, yeah, it happened. Do, remember, like, they, the Nets this season finally got Dr. J to come to well, a game. When we were watching the uh, Spurs game from 2003 finals, they did a very weird thing where he tipped off the ball uh, Dr. J did against George Kirvin, um, which is a thing I've never seen, like a celebrity fake jump ball to start a, a professional basketball game. I've never seen that before, but um, they did that for that occasion. And Julia Serving was wearing a Nets jersey for, for that. Thing. Well, and and so I remember reading a lot about as we were doing our research for the 2003 finals rewatch, which who knows if that's ever going to happen again. But there was a big Spurs Nets rivalry. Gervin was in the ABA with the Spurs too. And, you know, like there, there, there's an obvious connection there, but you know, sure. If you read the quotes about why the Nets had to give up Dr. J, it is understandable. Financial pressures are understandable. Everyone gets that, but it does lead to the circumstances which created this curse that has stayed over the Nets franchise all of these years, which is, um, makes them unfortunately, had been made them a minor player within the grand scheme of the NBA. They couldn't afford Dr. J, the star of the league. If you're one of the big boys, if you're the Knickerbockers or the Lakers or the Celtics, you figure out a way to maintain control of Dr. J. And if they maintain control of Dr. J, they probably win some NBA championships during his run. And then the entire perception of the franchise is completely different. Bo is also the guy who took the the Nets to New Jersey. Brian, I know you probably like him for that. Um, but it it does change the franchise, the trajectory of the franchise. If they're not in, no, I mean, yeah, the, I, I guess I like them for that. But like, they also put that that arena in the weirdest place. It was in, literally in the swamps. It was in a swamp. So, for all of the reasons, the guy who sold Doctor J, no matter the circumstances, deserves to be in the Nets Hall of Shame. Roy Bo, one of the founders of the Nets, you are shameful. <laughs> be shamed um shame well we should have, we should have done yeah, our shame we're, drop we're now figuring what that out thinking um do you think at some point in the future the nets will become a storied enough franchise where we will trade around the the, the concept of the curse of julia serving this is this takes i'm assuming a couple more decades for it to really take take form um do you think it's possible for the net because i mean how fast did the red sox become a big enough cultural force to actually like how soon do you, does the, the curse of the great Bambino happen after that trade? I think like immediately, you know, immediately. Okay, so yeah, because we, we already missed our opportunity. <laughs> That's it. Because like I yeah. oh, pretty much, well, maybe not. I, I'm sure there's someone coined it in the fifties after it happened, but like Babe Ruth immediately won championships with the Yankees, their rival. Like that, that's also kind of thing. Like the Nets weren't rivals with the Sixers, but, if you're it's like Philadelphia and New York, there's like a natural rivalry already between the cities. So it's not like they shipped him away to the Lakers, which I don't even think the Lakers existed at that point. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. They I mean, they maybe they did in Minnesota, but I don't know if they did in L.A. They probably did. Um, but it's they shipped him away. It's a little different than the curse of Bambino. What? So do you think the Nets have to not win a championship for another 50 years? And then you and I will be podcasting at the age of 70. 82 82 and be like the curse of dr j uh, yeah that's how we'll that's talk. my the curse of dr that's j. <laughs> that's the vision that's what i if everything goes right that'll be that'll be the situation yes. do you believe in 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 the curse does it feel curseful in curses um 
I believe in, I don't believe in actual, you know, metaphysics, Hexes. but I do believe that like, if you like, so this is how my uh, sister, a psychologist explains certain phenomenon like this. Like if you do something that you're guilty about, that you feel bad about, you can down the road, like punish yourself sort of subconsciously by compounding the the guilt with other mistakes and things like that. Right. So I'm along those lines where I don't think it's a curse per se, a hex of any kind, but the the circumstances which led to the deal, which is financially broke, not a great organization, not good long-term thinking. Like even if you're in this financial situation, you're going to you could have also then thought about it. Well, hey, we're about to go into the NBA, which is going to be more money anyways. It likely would have brought up the value of your franchise if you had a guy like Dr. J on your team than if not. So like actually in financial sense, in financial long-term planning, in the grand scheme of things, you'd rather have had the best, the biggest star in the ABA and then one of the biggest stars in the NBA then as opposed to not having him. If you're trying to initiate a new era of your franchise. So I think like the long-term impact of it is just because then it showed that the Nets franchise really wasn't the people running the Nets franchise really weren't the best long-term thinkers. And then there's just like a continued snowball effect of that bad planning, bad management that lead that led into, you know, problems. But you know, the Nets haven't been like the worst franchise over whatever the span of 40 years or whatever. Mm. So there you go. And on that bright note, Mike, should that should we close the, the ceremonies for for today, or <laughs> do you have more? So the final class, just to recap, is Darren Williams, Paul Pierce, Andre Karolenko, Billy King, Roy Bo, and Alonzo Morning. That is your inaugural class of the 2020 Nets Hall of Shame. Wow. And and also feel free to send us anything that we forgot on Twitter at BK Glue Guys, Mike, or, you know, write us a put it in the review or something on iTunes because five stars. We, we want them and need them authentically. Um, and anywhere else, Mike, what else? Just uh, the athletic, you know, just just think <clears throat> right. about it. Forty percent off. Pretty tasty. Think think about that. And eventually games are going to return and you're going to want to read about what's happening in those games. Brian and I are working on getting a couple of interviews that could be fun and tasty, but those will be free as all of our podcasts are. So thank you all for listening. Thanks, everybody. See you. Bye-bye. Yeah, boy. Yeah.